Hey guys, welcome to the Drone Horizon podcast. I'm Alex and today I'm joined by Phil Harris. Phil, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, so yeah, I'm Phil Harris. I'm a uh, commercial drone operator based in the UK, uh, mostly working sort of TV, film, uh, branded content. Um, cool. Well, thanks for taking time out of your day to chat with us today. Um, obviously, things are a little bit different for you. So normally we have drone photographers on, but you're obviously more of a commercial pilot. You do stuff for t- uh, TV and film and that kind of thing. So the shots I've asked you to send over are more behind the scenes shots, which obviously then have... Uh, things to go along with them so we'll start by talking about the Iceland shot that you've sent over so what's the story behind this one yeah so this was in 20 April 2017 I think it was um and it was for uh, a friend of mine we had he was doing a passion project um so it wasn't a job as such but uh it was filming like a music video um out in Iceland on the sort of uh about an hour outside of Hoth, there's a scarf as well. It's like a national park, a big old glacier. Um, and it was sort of like a, it was a bit of a trek out there. It was like, um, maybe like an hour or two hike. Um, and when I say hike, it's not, not because of it's a big distance. It was just, you're sort of roped it. We had uh, Stu, our sort of mountain guide uh, leader. He's based in, uh, in Wales. Um, he sort of takes us up there you're with ice picks and you're all sort of roped into each other because they're a fair size crevasses like gaps that you could you know you don't want to be falling down um so yeah it took a couple of hours to get out there it's probably only about I don't know, a mile or two out but um yeah get out and uh you've got to take obviously all your food and drink and stuff with you because there's no there's no delivery or catering van that's going to be out on the glacier this is where um not that i've seen it but the so i'm told the interstellar film was uh one of the, some of the scenes were shot there um but yeah, good challenge. Um, temperatures obviously low being on a glacier, so wrapped up warm, keeping batteries warm. Um, this was flying the Inspire 2, so thankfully they've got the sort of self-heating batteries, which was pretty pretty handy. Um, and But yeah, kudos to uh, Julia, who was the, um, she was the dancer. Uh, I'll show you, I'll send you some photos you can put up. Um, you know, she's wearing this really thin, hardly anything dress in the freezing cold uh and she's dancing around on this ice you know a lot of the time you know with with these shoots you're not actually dancing around you're not actually moving it's just sort of waiting around and well, yeah, waiting between cuts so yeah it was cold and some of the shots she was sort of lying down on the ice bare skin on ice i don't know how she did it um pretty pretty incredible but yeah that was just a that was a good shoot to remember in terms of uh you know a crazy environment i've been out there quite a few times and uh and that was definitely the highlight of of times being being able to shoot in iceland for sure yeah definitely i mean sort of with general tv and, and filming and that kind of thing i can imagine there's quite a lot of waiting around sort of involved in it anyway but obviously being out in the temperatures that you were it's even more painful standing there in the freezing cold um i noticed that obviously there's the guy next to you he's got a dji remote as well so were you flying dual operator for that that's right. Yeah. So that's with the DJI Inspire two man up. Uh, so I had my mate Kez with me. He was on the camera and then I was there piloting. So, uh, yeah, operating as two separate systems, one person piloting, one person on the camera. So they, they act independently. So you can, the camera can be looking wherever in relation to the drone. Um, and it works pretty well just for getting smooth dynamic stuff. It's also safer as well, which means the pilot only has to be focusing on where the drone is, whereas the camera op just uh, looking where the camera is going. Yeah. So do you normally do just the drone op or do you sort of uh, change depending on what the, the role of the 
the role is for the, the filming? Yeah, I'd say I'd say about 90% of, or 95% of my stuff is piloting rather than camera operating, uh, just because that's what I'm better at, you know, stick to your strengths. Uh, I know a bunch of fantastic camera operators, so I'll use them as and when. Um, but yeah, on the odd occasion, I do I do camera operate. And obviously, I noticed with your remote as well, you've got uh, a screen in front of you. So am I right in thinking that the Inspire 2 has a camera, like a fixed camera built into the front of it as well, so you can still see forwards? Yeah, that's right. So you've got like the, what they call the FPV camera. It's pretty shocking, really, in terms of the quality that's on it for such a well, fairly pricey rig. Um, but yeah, you've got a, uh, you've got this FPV camera, which is fixed facing forward. It does, does try to counteract your role. So you can always, the horizon stays still, but, um, it basically means that as the pilot, I can always see what's in front of the aircraft at any time, like no matter where the camera operators are looking at their camera. Um, so particularly handy if you're, um, beeline towards say like an object like a tree or a wall or something and you're say you're like you know 100 meters away at 100 meters your depth perception has really gone to pot so it can be difficult to see you know to judge how far away the aircraft is from an object if it's between if the drone is between you and the you know the obstacle so it's pretty handy for that it's also good for knowing your mark as well like you know if you need to stop um at a particular line even if it's not a hard object if you want to just know where your end point is it's pretty good for that especially when it comes to um you know, with the rules and regs saying you need to keep 50 meters or so uh, from from public, it's good to be able to see, you know, judging how far away you are from a road or a, or a path. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose, obviously, where you're handing complete control over where you've maybe gone from flying sort of more prosumer stuff like the, the Phantoms and etc. like you're used to being able to see and fly rather than just fly. I can imagine sort of going to just flying can be quite difficult if you didn't have that FPV. Yeah, and it's, a lot of it is about communication as well. Um, so yeah, you say going from, do, in a way, doing both uh, piloting and camera operating can be easier just because you're only having to sort of talk with yourself. You're only having to sort of, yeah, communicate with yourself about what the shot is and how to achieve it. Whereas with a, you know, with a camera operator, you need to be sort of on the same wavelength on how and how you're going to achieve these shots. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just sort of moving on to your second picture, obviously, I know you was briefly touched on sort of communication and that kind of thing. And Obviously, sometimes communication, you do need the sort of the headpieces, which you do see some people wearing on sort of more commercial films and that kind of thing. So the shot from Jordan, do you want to talk us through why you've sent this one over? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, this shoot wasn't um, it wasn't crazy in terms of like what it was for. So it was filming for a, a documentary. It was in a uh, it was in a refugee camp um, just about an hour north of uh, northeast of Amman in Jordan, just near the Syrian um, border. Uh, it's called Zatari Refugee Camp. Um, and I, I went out there, not really. I knew we were filming at this refugee camp, but I didn't know anything about it. Like I sort of in my head, I just thought, you know, it was just a refugee camp as we see online uh, or in the news or whatever, where it's just, you know, these sort of temporary tents. But it was quite a, uh, it's been up there since 2012. It's sort of quite a permanent uh, base now. It's got, but it's, you know, it's a fair size. It's two two square kilometers. Uh, yeah, two square kilometers two square miles and it's but it's got eighty thousand people in that area so it's you know it's tight um but the conditions like were i was surprised at how sort of good they are like it was an, it's an incredible achievement what the jordanian government and the united nations have sort of put together to create there it's got you know schools and hospitals um shops barbers it's it's yeah a well well catered for not to say they're in having a good time over there but um, it definitely opened my eyes to what things can be like, and uh, and 
yeah, not to not just to sort of jump to assumptions, really. So were you out there filming the documentary about the refugee camp? Yeah, so it's part of a longer series. I think it's being it's a it's a Warner Brothers uh, documentary which is filmed over four years or something. So I have no idea when it's going to come out. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah four year project. I think it's following families going through the refugee uh, system. I believe that's what it was about. Um, so you chose this one just purely because obviously it sort of opened your eyes as to what things could be like and obviously the different way of life. Yeah, yeah, just it was just quite a cultural cultural shot really um and but in a good way you know not all these shoots are about getting a cool shot as such um but this was definitely one that sort of changes you i guess slightly as a person opens your eyes a bit um but you're just saying from from the drone side the technical standpoint yeah again with this this with the inspire series i had uh, jason on the left there who's my camera operator and um yeah using the headsets he was saying about yeah we only usually i wasn't going to take them on the shoot um we're only usually using them for um you know, where we have to choreograph stuff in terms of timing with my camera operator, especially if you can't hear, if you can't hear each other usually. So we definitely use them on um, like car commercials or, or say if you're doing like a, a venue that's particularly loud and it's harder to hear each other rather than just shouting to each other. Um, the headsets are pretty handy, but I sort of took this. I'm not sure why I bought them on this job, really. However, I'm glad I did because uh, the you know hundreds of kids running and screaming towards you because they're just so excited you know this this drone is flying around and it's it's a it's yeah pretty pretty exciting for them which is understandable but yeah they are screaming so it's hard to hear each other whereas with the headsets it's just a lot easier to hear each other and it means that you know i can go 100 meters away and still just be talking at a regular sort of level without having to yell to jason grab the nd filters or anything and it's just it just makes things a lot easier and uh and yeah a bit more stress-free i'd say yeah definitely i mean drones regardless of where you are in the world drones still attract attention i mean sometimes it's good attention and sometimes it's bad attention but you'll always turn heads and obviously being sort of surrounded by kids i can imagine that was probably quite exciting for them yeah, that was, that was the other part of it. Like, um, it's such a mixed uh, responses with drones. Uh, like Syria in particular, we had um, we had a chap from the military, from the army, uh, who had to escort because drones was essentially banned out there. And um, we had yeah, a bit of a bit of a hoo ha trying to get through customs uh, with the drone as we flew into Oman. And then we had a chap from the military who had to escort us around. Um, uh, well, say escort us. He had to escort the drone. He had to be with the drone twenty four hours, including overnight so we'd go to the hotel and i'd give him the um the drone and stuff so he'd have to be it have to be in his possession he was pretty chill with me being able to keep up the batteries and stuff just to be able to logistics of charging stuff overnight um but yeah the aircraft and controllers had to stay under his watchful eye which was um a bit scary on the first day as i'd only just met him an hour before and i'm giving him not just one but both i've got two inspires just to have one as a backup I'm giving them both to him and just hoping that I see him the next morning when he said he'll be at the hotel to pick us up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose when you're going to sort of film commercially and that kind of thing, and you've got the backing of like a, a production team and that kind of thing with you, I suppose it's probably a little bit, the, the government maybe are a little bit more open to, to hearing your side of it. But, you know, any sort of consumer taking their drone into to the country for, you know, just flying it around to take some pictures, I think they'll probably have a maybe a different different story. Yeah, quite. Yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit of uh, sort of negotiation and paperwork that goes into it. And you have your local, um, what they call like a fixer. So someone who's based out there in the area that you're filming, and they sort of help with um, 
uh, sort of yeah, negotiating your permits and stuff, and also helping just with logistics, with you know even just basic things like having a uh, like a translator for you to help with um, communication. It's pretty handy. So in this particular shoot, was there other than obviously the the local person, was it all um, sort of team members that had been flown into the country, or were you using local staff as well in conjunction with yourself? In terms of the um, the film crew itself, it was all um, UK based uh, crew and then yeah we did have the sort of locals that would uh, assist us uh, but no ma- mainly just yeah UK crew. Cool so just moving on to your third shot now which is probably the saddest shot out of the three do you want to talk us through what happened to this poor drone? Yeah so um, this was last or two this is June 2019 um, yeah I, I wanted to put this picture in there just because I think everyone appreciates a, a little crash story and uh, this was one like no other that I had had before um so I was it was a local job to me at the time I was living down in Brighton on the south coast of the UK and uh we were flying it was sort of the penultimate shot of the day um we're just filming these uh it's for uh filming these coaches going along the, the south coast and we're just sort of tracking them going along uh the seafront uh, road and we were flying over this sort of stretch of water, the sea, um, and got the shots. Coming back uh, into land, we were about sort of 300 meters away at this point when I decided to turn back. And uh, as I'm coming back, um, I noticed these two birds sort of just come out of nowhere. Just little birds, not seagulls. Seagulls I'm scared of because they're big and they'll, you know, dive on you and stuff. But it's these small little um, like starling-sized birds. So nothing particularly uh concerning but you know nonetheless it's a it's a hazard so i was like okay, I'll, I'll drop the altitude a bit um and i'll pick up the speed but then i think what they saw it they saw it as a game and they were like right game on he's ducking and diving let's chase him so they yeah they do exactly that uh and i'm like mm, okay um and then yeah they're flying alongside it and then one just sort of swoops into the side uh it clips a propeller um and the bird the bird sort of like flutters away um yeah he didn't he didn't get knocked out of the sky but i think he probably yeah suffered some sort of wounds um but yeah drone propeller gets clipped uh so it just chips it a bit but then it starts because once it's sort of out of balance once the propellers are out of balance they just start shaking themselves apart so at first it was you know the aircraft didn't come straight didn't come out of the air straight away um spinning around and it started yeah spinning around and then all of a sudden it just sort of threw itself apart the the propeller the motor and uh and it just went down into the drink so sort of dropped about 50 foot into the sea um but then obviously as you can see from this photo that's not where it ended um i because i was local um i was thought oh, you know it'd be good to see if i can get it back uh not that you know it's salt water it is a write-off but um I think I just, I, I felt so frustrated that it was only about hundred meters off from the shoreline. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll see if I can, see if I can get it. The client was super chill. Like I said earlier about having like a backup driver, I had a backup Inspire in the car, um, but I was reserved about using it just because I knew that I had, um, you know, back-to-back days after this job of other jobs that I need the Inspire for, uh, for which, you know, the first couple of days I won't have a backup Inspire, which always makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, I was with Dan, my camera operator, uh, and 
we uh we grabbed some uh, wetsuits and uh and snorkels and we're like, all right let's let's get in and see if we can uh see if we can find this thing go back down there and start sort of uh we knew where it went in from sort of visually where it dropped in but we also had the gps uh, you know the overlay from the dji go app uh, saying you know where your flight path was where it was last seen so i went in and started systematically checking where it went in taking into account where the tide may have like sort of thrown it in and um yeah about an hour in uh i was sort of counting down you know last 10 dives and then i'll give up um and then got down to the bottom just dropping down about uh four meters deep at this point which is that's sort of my limit of sort of free diving i'm not a free diver by any stretch and um and the visibility is terrible visibility is like you know a meter or so so i can't once i'm down on the sea floor you know i can't see too far and you're wearing these goggles so your peripheral vision is just you know next to nothing and then all of a sudden i spot it sort of scream underwater realize that i can't breathe underwater so i'm like keep it in grab it bolt up and uh and yeah that photo was taken uh, shortly after that so was the footage recoverable at the end of that or did you have to reshoot all the footage again it was yeah well from the micro sd card so it shoots onto an ssd and a micro sd card the micro sd card so what i didn't realize is those things are bomb proof basically um i looked into it afterwards to see like how much they can handle and people put them in microwaves and all sorts of stuff um but yeah the micro sd card survived despite being in salt water um i got when i got back uh, i sort of threw everything in the bath and ran like clean you know regular tap water over it just to try to get rid of any salt to to stop any further corrosion but obviously most of the damage is done already but yeah the micro sd card survived so with the inspire obviously you mentioned that it shoots both onto the ssd and the sd card is that the same quality onto both of them or does it sort of prioritize the the ssd and then the sd card is just sort of a backup yeah so the micro sd card is what they call uh, when you're shooting onto both the S- you don't have to shoot onto both um but when you're shooting ProRes or raw you're shooting onto the ssd and when you're shooting onto the ssd it will then create a proxy file so like a, a low a low quality version it can still be you know a 4k file or so but the bit rate is so small it's it's not usable really for um for anything of, of quality yeah so was anything salvageable from this drone? Did you manage to get any of the batteries or anything other than the SD card or was or was that it was a complete write-off? Uh, the SD card and I think the I think the ND filter. Uh, everything else was a goner. Um, but to be fair, it was um, the uh, my insurance company, um, shout out to Moonrock. Um, they they've just made it an absolute breeze to sort of work with us sort of I called them up. I was like, you know, this is what's happened. But luckily I have the drone as evidence rather than, you know, I, I did ask, you know, what would happen if, if I don't have the drone, if I can't show you the evidence of what's happened, and it's like, you know, it's going to be sort of a, a proof evidence trust game. Um, but yeah, they made it pretty pain free, which I'm thankful for. And we were able to have, um, yeah, a new drone in sort of 72 hours or so, which was, yeah, wow. good service. Shows obviously the benefit of having insurance then over sort of just, winging it i suppose yeah yeah absolutely i mean for commercial operations you you by law you have to have insurance um but yeah definitely um definitely finally makes it worth it after all those years of paying your insurance to be able to make a claim and they make it uh pretty pain-free it's, yeah handy yeah so obviously we've sort of briefly touched on your inspires that you have you've obviously got two of them i know you've got quite a long kit list so do you want to run through what 
drone kit that you have and sort of when you tend to choose each thing and, and where it sort of falls into its place? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not too extensive, but yeah. Uh, so the in terms of what I actually own, so I, I freelance for other uh, drone companies as well, and sometimes I use their equipment. Uh, but in terms of what I have in my fleet, I've got um, a couple of the Inspire Twos, like you said. Uh, we've got the there's two different cameras that you can get on it. We've got uh, the X7, uh, which is a Super 35 sensor, and then we've got a couple of the X5S, which are the the Micro Four Thirds. Um, and then below that, we've then got the DJI Phantom Four Pro. Uh, which I've had for years. It needs to be replaced, really. Um, I was thinking like the Mavic 2 Pro sort of area, um, but then I'm like, uh, I know the second I buy it, the Mavic 3 will come out, so I'm holding off from that. Um, and then that's about it in terms of the regular uh, camera drone stuff. Uh, and then out, and then yeah, next sort of the newer thing has been like you said, like the FPV uh, drones. So yeah the racing style that are sort of yeah racing drones which are built for filming i'd say so not quite not as punchy and agile um but yeah just designed sort of five inch uh quadcopters built to carry a gopro um and that's been sort of used more so for um uh like the action sport sort of things or using quite a few on like uh, automotive shoots recently it seems to be pretty popular with that um but obviously the downside at the moment is just like it is a gopro um so it's it's okay quality uh but ideally we want to be pushing a bit further so i guess the next step up would be going down the sort of medium to heavy lift fpv uh drones i don't know if you've seen them that are sort of carrying the komodos and black magics and uh yeah they look pretty pretty appealing but at the same time these fpv drones are a lot more um manual as you'd say uh you know you haven't got these collision avoidance sensors and uh return to home is the drones that do have it with the fpv are you know it's nothing like a dji return to home it's um it's a very much last ditch resort to uh to try get your drone back with that but um yeah i think that's that's what i've been working towards but at the moment just still improving my skill set to work up to that point yeah i mean i was chatting with a, a guy a couple of episodes back um and we were sort of discussing how the original DJI stuff, such as the Phantom 1, is sort of at the level of the FPV stuff now. So that sort of analog transmission and the quality that you see when you're flying and you sort of strap a GoPro on the bottom and sort of hope for the best. But I think, obviously, DJI have got the sort of their digital transmission technology out, which is great, and I think that's probably going to be the way forwards. And obviously, once DJI start doing something, everyone seems to follow. But I think with sort of digital transmission, I think that is the way forwards. And I think FPV, I've said it before on the podcast, that FPV is definitely the way that everyone seems to be going at the minute. So sort of how long have you been flying FPV and, and where did you sort of start out with that? Yeah, um, I sort of, I started dabbling with it maybe like two or three years ago, but I really didn't get any traction with it. And I sort of wish I did now, just seeing like how much it's blown up. But uh, it was, in a way it was, I was, the the one sort of good thing that came out of the whole covid lockdown thing for me in the first place was um was just being able to sort of crack on with that because it is a pretty time hungry hobby or you know uh, avenue to go down um just because you know you're, in terms of how long you're flying it versus how long it's you know on the workbench and you're sort of building them fixing them tweaking them it's it's a lot more than you are actually flying so it's a big sort of time sink but that's what sort of lockdown gave me and that's how i sort of spent my my first lockdown really was just plowing the hours into that um and so yeah that was to answer your question that was yeah about that's a year now isn't it um so yeah about about a year now that i've been actually pushing it so was is your 
uh, your sort of FPV drone, is that a custom build one that you've built from scratch or did you sort of buy a pre-built one and then just swap bits out as and when sort of damages happen? Yeah, so the first one I actually learned on was a, what they call like bind and fly uh, setup. So pre-built drone basically. Um, and that was, I think that's, that's a good way of going about it in the first place, just because it gives you an idea of, you know, how an FPV drone does fly and how it's supposed to feel or a rough idea at least. Um, and then, um, so that was good to practice on. And then after that, I then moved on to doing yeah, a custom build, um, which, yeah, you sort of, <clears throat> you specify the components that you want to suit your needs and you take it from there really. So was your sort of, obviously, I know you said you started with FPV sort of at the beginning of lockdown. Was that something that you wanted to pursue yourself or was that something that clients were starting to ask you for and you sort of thought it was a good investment of your time to sort of be able to offer that in addition to everything else that you do? Um, a bit of both, really. It was, um, FPV is just fun. It's really, really good fun. And like the other drone stuff is, although the jobs can be fun and flying them, uh, for me personally, I, I, I don't find it so fun anymore. Like in the early days I did. Um, but then doing the FPV star, uh, stuff sort of re-sparked the sort of the excitement for flying um, just because, you know, there's a lot more sort of uh, opportunities of cool shots that you can get different types of shots. Uh, and it's been fun experimenting with that. Still is now a year later. Um, and, but yeah, on the other side, yeah, clients are asking for it a bit, a bit more. So I'm a bit, um, I wouldn't say late to the party, but I'm definitely not at the beginning. There are a bunch of guys that are absolutely killing it. They're doing really well. And um yeah, they've sort of, I guess, shown what are possible with drones, uh, with these FPV drones. So I'm sort of just jumping on the bandwagon with that, really, and uh, just to be able to uh, sort of add it in addition to flying these other drones. Um, so at the moment for jobs, I've been sort of mostly it's flying the Inspire and stuff, but then as a bolt-on being able to do the FPV as well. So it's a nice little addition to be able to offer. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's sort of... It if the clients maybe haven't specified it and you're still, you've got the drone with you and you're able to sort of show them what's capable, it maybe opens up your sort of future with them with FPV stuff and obviously markets yourself as being able to do that and shows your sort of versatility, which is obviously important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So moving on to sort of how you first got to sort of where you are now, did you start off with sort of remote control helicopters and, and sort of planes sort of a little while ago and then moved more recently into drones so how did your drone journey come about yeah I, I never really started with the i mean i had like remote helicopters the odd one as a kid but you know nothing nothing serious um but i always found i was always i guess a bit of a geek and enjoyed the sort of gadgety um remote control stuff uh it was i got into it for uh sort of an interest in film and tv rather than interested in remote control stuff um i love the idea of aerial filming from like helicopters um so you sort of see the things on uh, david attenborough sort of flying over plains of africa and i was like oh that's cool i'd love to film something like that one day and um and then i sort of i was i was looking into it and i was like wow helicopters are an expensive world and i don't sort of i don't have any links in that world um and this you know this is when i'm sort of 18 or so so just finishing college and trying to figure out what i'm going to do with my life and uh yeah, came across the idea of drones. Um, there are a few guys, mainly in the States, uh, that I sort of saw their work and I was like, oh, this is pretty incredible. These sort of you know, single rotor uh, helicopters, uh, remote control helicopters with a DSLR attached to it. Uh, that was groundbreaking at the time. Like the footage that you'd be getting from it wasn't so great, but it was definitely showing potential. And that's sort of how I then started with the drone thing. It's like I yeah, had the, the DJI Phantom 1. So I missed, I missed the whole rigmarole of the 
the nightmares of the drones before that, where it was really trial and error and it was really stabbing in the dark. So I sort of started at the beginning of the DJI era, uh, the Phantom 1, sort of strapping a GoPro to it. You don't have a video feed, so you can't see what you're filming or any telemetry. Um, but to be able to put a GoPro in the sky, um, that was yeah terrible footage, but I sort of saw the potential in it and it was exciting. So yeah, started following it from there um, and then started to... Uh, I reached out to a few companies in the UK that were offering it. I, I only heard back from one company, which is uh, Chris Bates at Skyhook. So yeah, thanks to him. I've got a lot to be grateful for. Um, he basically brought me on to sort of a work experience on the first time. Uh, I guess we hit it off and um, and then he, yeah, so I then work, once I got my uh, commercial operation, uh, my permission for aerial work at the time, just like the PFCO back then, um, I then started to sort of pilot for him a lot more. Uh, and that's how I sort of then started to get into the commercial side of things. Um, I started off wanting to offer uh, drone filming as like sort of in the form of a company, like many drone companies are in the UK, um, to be, you know, have multiple pilots and camera operators. Figured out that wasn't really for me. I'd never run a business before, figured out I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I took a month off sort of sabbatical uh, and sort of reevaluated, uh, and then came back and was like, okay, I'm going to try um, offering it as like a freelance sort of service. So going to these existing drone companies and saying, hey, um, if you need, like most of them have a pilot already. So I'd just be saying, you know, if you need a backup pilot, if you fall sick or just get double booked or anything, um, I sort of that's that's sort of the gap I'd fill. And uh, and then since then, I sort of just grown sort of the client base and built just good relationships with people more than anything. Um, to be not just sort of good at your job, but to uh, be a trusted operator, really. Because um, that's a, a lot of the game is just to be able to provide a good service, not only from technical standpoint, but just to be nice and, I guess, easy to work with as well. And to be able to trust, um, for these companies to trust an operator to go out on a job, to represent them well, and not to steal their clients. Um, and that's, that's sort of the, the service I've been providing. Um, and in the early days before, before it was sort of full time enough to be um, to be earning a decent wage off it, uh, I was also working at a drone shop, RC Geeks. Uh, they're based down in um, in Crawley, so worked with them for a couple of years, uh, mainly just as on the repair desks. So I'd just be you know, people bring in all their crash drones, and you hear some good, interesting uh, crash stories from that. Um, and yeah, just repairing drones there and doing sort of uh, unboxing reviews of. The latest uh, DJI Tech, um, and then sort of left there in 2016, I think it was. Uh, once work was sort of busy enough to be full time uh, piloting. I mean, you sort of mentioned briefly there about how sort of what you offer is representing yourself well for a company, and I think a lot of times when you see, you know, we obviously we touched on sort of like David Attenborough and that kind of thing. When you see those kind of drone shots, they're not necessarily the most complex of shots, but it's not always about that for professional work. I mean, obviously the FPV stuff is maybe a little bit more complex, but it's not all about, you know, when you become a professional pilot, it's obviously, it's it's how you represent yourself as well as the skills that you're able to offer. And obviously that then comes down to whether people want to hire you or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so much more to it than just just what, I guess, how the, the results that you get in terms of what goes out on TV. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you said, just to, to be, yeah, easy to work with, especially of those so the longer shoots where it's more than just a day. You know, you, you don't want to be that guy on set that people are struggling to get on with. 
Yeah. I mean, I had a brief look at your website before, obviously, we, we came on and chatted today, and you've worked for a massive number of sort of big name brands. Um, so with that kind of work, is that through working with companies that have then worked with them? Or is that you sort of approaching the company directly and offering your services and it being sort of directly through them? Yeah, so that, that list on there are just yeah productions that I've worked on. So the majority is, um, yeah, through, through my sort of the freelance sort of side of things. So these drone companies that um, that have the con- these contracts or landed these jobs uh, and have asked me to go pilot for them. And that's where the, that list and the showreel as well. None of my showreel or that client list would be possible without uh, without these drone companies that I work with. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the list as well, a lot of the brands on there, well, I'd say not a lot, a majority of the brands that are listed on there seem to be sort of car companies and sort of obviously you've listed Top Gear, BBC, Dave and Grand Tour, I noticed was on there as well. So would you say that majority of your work at the minute is more sort of car based and that kind of filming? Well, so yeah, it's that is definitely sort of the, the avenue that I've sort of pushed myself down um but you know at the same time it is like with social media and things you only get to see what that person wants you to see so you know i'm not just filming car commercials and things all the time like there's a bunch of other sort of less exciting things that i'm filming which i'm just i don't want to be raving about because that's not the sort of avenue i want to be going down i think it's um you attract what you put out so uh, i think if you're you know you're, you're showing um that what sort of automotive jobs I've been working on uh, and that's then attracts more of the same, same sort of stuff. Whereas um, I don't put any, you know, not so much anymore like roof surveys and things, but um, sort of, I guess, yeah, less to me, like less exciting bits. I don't want to be putting on there because that's not really what I want to be sort of putting my foot myself forward for. Yeah, definitely. So sort of working with those brands and that kind of thing, obviously that must've sort of taken you, all over the world so is there sort of any places that you know you particularly enjoyed obviously other than the pictures that we've sort of talked about is there any places that you sort of really enjoyed shooting with and sort of have you've come away with like a really good impression of it yeah um yeah i a lot there's, there's a lot i mean yeah it's been privileged to work in a lot of places um done some expedition work in uh in sort of iceland and and new zealand with a good friend of mine jordan rosen um and that's basically just filming these uh sort of outdoor apparel companies so you know as, um, more often than not for sort of hiking and trail running um so that includes just yeah hiking out with all this kit and you're camping out and it's just you know a, you have a few day excursion to, to shoot these products in these fairly remote areas um outside of that uh Another sort of opportunity opportunity that's allowed me to travel a bunch was uh, doing, um, there's a company called Fly. Uh, They're based in Sheffield, so just down the road from me here in the Peak District. Um, They, yeah, they're one of the companies that I work closest with. And for, I think it was only about a year or so um, that we were, I was sort of fulfilling their, they had a contract with TUI, the, um, the travel holiday company. And basically just filming a heap of their sort of the destinations that would go from filming like the hotels and then the um the sort of activities that they offer so imagine you you go onto their website and you're like oh i want to get to this hotel you watch a video of the hotel and then you're like oh what activities are they providing so there'll be you know safari or water sports or you know these various activities that we'd then go out and film and that was good fun to be able to travel to cool places experience some different cultures and uh and take part in some fun activities so obviously that you've sort of traveled for work and that kind of thing. 
how has your work sort of been affected by COVID in that sense? Obviously not being able to travel with the lockdowns that have sort of been enforced on the UK, being able to travel has obviously been massively reduced. So have you seen like a drop in your workload as a result of that? Or have you still been sort of able to keep going with sort of UK based stuff? Yeah, tra- travel really ground, ground to a halt. Um, done things within within the UK, um, sort of Wales and Scotland. But yeah, outside of that, there's been nothing in the last sort of yeah, 12 months, um, which is understandable. Um, and there, but yeah, work on the whole, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely sort of, I'd say quieter. Um, I'd say March till June, July last year, or yeah, March till June for sure. I didn't work at all. So, um, the industry just ground to a halt. Um, and then after that things were able to pick up, um, and it's sort of, yeah, it was quite fortunate that work sort of went back to normal, essentially. Um, if anything, it felt a bit busier, just felt like, um, you know, a plug was pulled and all the work sort of came flooding back for a bit. Um, and then, but I find that work is, the drone stuff is seasonal anyway. So winter is usually quieter. Um, so sort of December, it started to quieten down again. Um, and then, yeah, still now in January, it's, it's fairly quiet compared to what it usually is or on top of what it usually is uh, and I'm expecting it sort of will be in February as well but then going into March pick up again um, but yeah thankfully the uh, the UK government have the uh, I'm just self-employed um, so they've got the self-employed support scheme which has been pretty handy to have uh, just to save any extra stress. So sort of throughout that busier time that you've obviously said that it sort of comes in waves do you find yourself turning down maybe less exciting jobs for yourself and sort of going with maybe ones that you want to sort of progress more in yeah yeah it's um again just it's yeah in in the busier times it's easiest to sort of pick and choose uh in the quieter time so like post uh covid so end of last year um i was sort of just taking on everything and anything i could get um but yeah in general you can be fairly picky but at the same time i'm not particularly business driven i'm not um i'm not in it for the business side of it so much you know i'm not just trying to get all the money i can um so i'd happily you know if i want to go climbing or something at the weekend i'll happily sort of turn down some work just to be out in the peaks climbing with some mates um so yeah it's not it's it's not everything the money side of it um but it's definitely yeah means to an end yeah definitely so sort of just sort of finishing up then, is there any tips that you could offer for sort of people that are just sort of starting out? Obviously, I know you're maybe less sort of photography driven and more sort of obviously, as we've discussed, the sort of your interest is from drones for TV and film. So is there sort of any tips that you can offer for people that maybe want to pursue that kind of avenue rather than sort of more traditional photography? I guess just get out there and, and, and create stuff, really, because um, there's nothing nothing speaks louder than the results that you get um, and the shots that you're able to get. Uh, so just, yeah, get out and film. And that's the nice thing with, well, I say the nice thing, but one of the benefits of, of these sort of the quieter times of not being able to work is that you can, um, yeah, you're able to get out and, and shoot more. And that's what I found with the FPV stuff. Um, like I said earlier, I was, I also started this series called FPV Friday, which is something that I'd post, well, not every Friday, but I'd try and post videos frequently on Fridays uh, that are FPV related. And that was sort of a good, you know, it was a, it was a sort of a deadline for myself an objective to try and put something out um, that was FPV related and just yeah, creating that content and then putting it out online, putting it just, I mean, I use pretty much solely Instagram. Um, just it sort of acts as uh, it's like a double-edged sword. It, 
it's like a it's like an ongoing portfolio uh, rather than just making a showreel, which I do recommend. Showreels are pretty important for just having a collective of your work to to show off to potential clients, especially. Um, but Instagram acts as like a rolling portfolio, so you can show different projects uh, that you've done, and people just browse through it pretty easily. Um, and it's a good way of being able to, um, yeah, be be spotted and recognised, and you know the number of uh, clients that I've made that I found through Instagram. I mean, yeah. I couldn't count, but it's plenty, plenty has come through it. So definitely don't underestimate the power of social media um, and just creating. I think it's pretty, it's pretty key. Cool. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your day. Um, it's been really nice chatting and obviously hearing all of your, your stories and, and that kind of thing. Do you want to just remind everybody how they can find you on Instagram and obviously through your website as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is Phil Harris Co. Uh, and the website is uh philharris.co cool well as i say thank you very much um and i hope everything goes well in the future with all of your drone work cheers alex i appreciate it thanks very much cool